0: Welcome to the Alaska Journey Podcast. My name is Jamin Gerker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska and my mission is to help people to build an intentional and significant legacy for themselves and their families by coaching them in real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to really shed light on the authentic experience of what it's like actually living up here in Alaska. So here you're going to get those stories and you're going to have a lot of your questions answered as you're might be thinking about moving up here. Now today We have a very special guest. She is actually a deputy editor with um, the ADN, the Anchorage Daily News. Um, She's an avid hiker, skier, and she also writes cautionary tales, a column about lessons learned the hard way in the Alaska outdoors. So absolute stud when it comes to outdoor hiking. Please welcome Vicki Ho.
1: (laughs) It's great to be here today.
0: Outstanding. Well, I do appreciate you being here. I know this is uh, getting kind of late in the day, so I appreciate you taking the time.
1: <laughs> no worries. It's my pleasure.
0: Sounds good. So I, I guess let's go and just jump in here. So was moving to Alaska something that you just always wanted to do? Because I remember us talking before, you you know, got the job with the ADN, and um, for those of you who aren't here in Alaska, you know the ADN is by far the biggest newspaper in the state. and. Um, Moved up here subsequently. Um, Was moving up here to Alaska something you always wanted to do?
1: Uh, That's a funny question because I had never really considered moving to Alaska until um, I was ready to move on from a job that I had in a ski town in Colorado. Um, I was working at the newspaper in Steamboat Springs, and um, I'd moved there from Austin, Texas, which uh, Is where I had gone to college and I had returned there um, after after a stint in grad school uh, and I grew to really appreciate and love seasons. Uh, So some background about me. I grew up in um, a suburb of Houston, Texas and if you've been there you can just you just know that um, there are really only two seasons in Texas and it's like summer and spring. There's no fall, there's no winter. (laughs) Not really um, by normal uh, U.S. standards, I would say. Um, So Colorado is really where I started to appreciate being outside, being in the mountains, being in a ski town and having all of these great outdoor opportunities sort of right out the front door. Um, And when I was ready to move on from my job at the newspaper in Steamboat, I you know, was applying to, to jobs in all these other states and places, and I thought that something that I really wanted to hold on to no matter where I went would be, um, you know, some kind of mountain life, some kind of outdoors focused place, um, and I kind of on a whim applied for a job at the Anchorage Daily News. And I hadn't been to Alaska before. I would never been to Anchorage before. I really had no idea what to expect. And um, I interviewed, uh, you know, over the phone. Um, I don't think I did a video interview, which seems so strange now in our Zoom world, our <laughs> pandemic Zoom world, um, but I got the job. And I moved up here in January 2015 And at that point, I'd still never been to Anchorage before. So I moved here blind. And it was this kind of huge gamble. I remember um, driving from Steamboat to Seattle. And that whole drive, I I was questioning this decision that I had made. Like, oh my god, Like, what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. What is this place even like? What can I expect? But I put my car on a barge in Seattle and I flew up to Anchorage, and it's been amazing. It's been terrific, and I've kind of never looked back since.
0: Just kind of found your tribe up here, huh?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and, you know, I I would say anytime you move to a new place, it usually takes a little bit of time to get adjusted and get settled. But uh, there were so many things that I grew to love about being up here. Um, I'd say it started, so I was working for the newspaper, but I also started working part-time at a, an outdoor retailer here and through that second job, which yeah, I kind of took because I was really bored uh, and I had so much free time and I didn't know anybody. Uh, but through that job, I got to meet other people and you know people closer to my age. Um, uh, and they, yeah, everyone here loves to be outside. So through that, I sort of got to um, start hiking and getting to know some of the trails around South Central Alaska a bit more. And I hadn't really been much of a hiker, really any kind of a hiker before I moved here. And um, once I started, I, I felt so free and so much more like myself that I just kind of never stopped.
0: Man, that's awesome. I mean, I'm glad you said that pretty much everybody up here is into just those outdoor activities because, I mean, as long as you kind of have, you know, kind of have that shared interest with a lot of people, you're pretty much in the club when you get here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And there's such a range of outdoor activity too beyond uh, just hiking, just hiking. You can, you can dial up hiking to, to uh, a 12 on a scale of one to 10 um, if you really want to get real vertical with it Um, but you know there's such a wide range of things that people who love being outside can do here you know hiking climbing fishing uh, kayaking and there's just so there's a lot to do even year-round and I've found that the best thing is to have a contingency plan or a contingency activity so say, um, say the skiing is not great at this time, then, you know, there might be ice climbing in winter, or there might be fat biking or uh, snowshoeing. Yeah, there's so much to do.
0: Yeah. So for uh, people in Texas who might be listening to this, um, explain to them what ice climbing is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is something kind of terrifying at first, uh, and maybe always, Um, But you put on uh, crampons, you strap crampons onto your shoes, and crampons are um, maybe made of uh, aluminum or steel, but they're very sharp, very pointy, and you rely on the front points of those crampons to help you climb up the ice. So you have crampons on your feet, and you have ice tools or ice axes in your hands. hopefully you're on a rope, especially if you're new (laughs) and, uh, you just try to climb up something pretty vertical and, uh, do your best and, uh, hope that your climbing partner is going to catch you when you fall, (laughs) which they they should, but I would say, uh, yeah, disclaimer, safety disclaimer. If you're going to ice climb, make sure you do it in a safe place with people who know what they're doing, especially if you're just starting out um, it's cool. It's terrifying. And I have poor upper body strength, but, um, I always feel good every time I go, every time I go ice climbing and it always feels like a great challenge. And at the end, it's so satisfying to know that you got yourself from point A to point B, um, under, uh, presumably under your own power.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. So when you say climbing the ice then i mean i was just driving to to baldez about a week ago and saw some people doing this but they were just climbing straight up the side of it was like a frozen waterfall is what it what it was is that i mean i i don't know is that kind of what most of these ice climbs are do they go to glaciers i mean i'm asking more for me (laughs) right now more than anything else
1: (laughs) yeah there's kind of a range so um frozen waterfalls are good what you might have seen was probably someone driving through Keystone Canyon on the way or you were driving through Keystone Canyon on the way to Valdez and you might have seen people climbing up Bridal Veil Falls or um Horsetail Falls. I was actually in that area recently and uh Horsetail Falls looked pretty <laughs> sketchy funny if for a climb. Oh, it was definitely not
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> But uh yeah, I would say Frozen Waterfalls are kind of a good bet. Um sometimes you know, in, in summer you might not notice it, but when there's, uh, I hate to, I hesitate to say runoff. I don't think it's quite runoff, but um, water will often be kind of flowing or trickling over um, rock faces in the summer. And in summer you pay no mind, right? It's wet rock. Like, what are you going to do on that? But in winter, and you'll see this. You come to Anchorage in the winter, maybe in January, or February, and you see a cold snap. Uh, or you're experiencing a cold snap at that point and you're driving south on the Seward Highway out of Anchorage, you'll see ice build up, ice ice routes essentially um, on the rock faces that are right by the Seward Highway and people will climb those too. So sometimes it's frozen waterfalls, sometimes it's these frozen uh, masses of ice where water just kind of builds up over time. Um, So not a waterfall like you would traditionally think of, um, but you could also ice climb on glaciers. You know, glacier ice. Um, I'm not the world's best or most knowledgeable ice climber. I don't think I rank in the top like thousand even in Alaska. But um, but yeah, there there are a few different spots that you can go to, um, close to Anchorage or farther afield. It really uh, it depends on your skill level and what kind of experience you're looking for. And that's another thing that's not unique to ice climbing, but it's something else I love here. Uh, For whatever hike you might want to do, for example, there's such a range out of Anchorage and in the Anchorage area. And whenever friends or family come to visit and they say, oh, I want to go for a hike. Like, great. What kind of hike do you want? Do you want something flat? Do you want something long? Do you want something steep? Do you want loose rock and a steep climb? Or do you want to go to this, you know um, alpine lake nestled high up in the mountains where no one else will be there. You know, I, there's, <laughs> there's so much to access and so much to see and such, um, such range that, uh, I just, I, yeah, get out here. Like, why, why do people, <laughs> I, it's amazing to me how so many people don't live in Alaska because it's, there's just so much to do and see.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's kind of the crazy thing. Cause that was, um, um, actually, just thinking about it over on the the again arm, it's like you're driving down there. And I mean, you've got hiking you can do up there on the trails. You've got, you know, uh, vertical mountain climbing that people do with scaling um, the mountainside. I'm pretty sure that's not the correct term. So I'm sure someone will correct me. And um, you can actually just do the sightseeing right there. And you can like surf like out there on the bore tide also, all within like a couple mile like literally like half a mile, a mile of each other. You've got all those activities stacked up right there. So there's just outdoor activities all over the place in Alaska. Um, but let me ask you this then. You said you were kind of coming in from uh, Colorado and, you know, Texas before that. What were some of your expectations of of hiking and outdoor activities in Alaska when you got here?
1: I had... Uh, so few expectations. I mean, as I said, I, I wasn't really much of a hiker until I moved here, um, which I, I just I kind of dove right in. I still kind of can't believe that I got into it as much as I did. Um, but, you know, I had done a little bit of research on on skiing. I knew that aliasco was, you know, within an hour of Anchorage and coming from Steamboat, you know, resort skiing is really the thing um I knew that there was a little bit of a biking scene and you know some of a uh, somewhat of a running scene as well um but I think getting here and seeing what all of it was like once I arrived it's just so different from what I expected uh the the cycling community here is you know the, the cyclists here are really into cycling and you have your diehard fat bikers who are committed to, you know, winter commutes and uh, winter epics, um, epic trips out to, you know, <laughs> so, glacier. Uh, so, I,
0: so explain fat biking for our uh out of state listeners.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So fat biking is just essentially think of a regular bike, maybe something that looks a little bit like a mountain bike, and then just think of super fat tires on it, maybe four, four inches, five inches wide. Um mm-hmm. And what that does, having that wider tire, uh, gives you the ability to get a little bit more um, friction on snow and ice. Uh, and you know, in winter, cyclists here, fat bikers here, um, will deflate or inflate their tires based on what kind of surface they're riding on. So if it's a really soft snow surface, uh, you might want to let some air out of your tires so you just get a little bit more purchase in the snow. Um, it, looks, it looks funny the first time you see a fat bike. I, uh, I will not lie. When fat bikes first came to Steamboat, uh, people thought that they were super funny looking uh, and, and gradually over time fat biking became more popular. But here in Anchorage, it just seems like so many people have fat, fat bikes down. The really hip thing to do once the ice is frozen is to fat bike to Knick Glacier, um north of Anchorage, kind of closer to to the Butte and Palmer. Uh, but fat biking on uh some some land, some but also like some frozen, frozen water and the frozen glacial lake to get to Knick Glacier. And it's cool, you can um you can bike around these icebergs but you don't want to get too close to the the toe of the glacier the, the i guess front to you if you're on the ice um you don't want to get too close to the glacier because there is just inherent danger in being that close to Kelving
0: ice right right man there are uh so many jumping off points here so we'll, <laughs> we'll try to keep we'll try to stay focused on on hiking but yeah, yeah suffice it to say there is just a plethora of of outdoor activities here that you can go and do and that's you know without even talking about hunting or fishing <laughs> mm-hmm. so let's uh let's go and switch gears Hans. so what was i guess some of your most memorable hiking experiences you've had up to this point point? and i say memorable because it can be good or it can be bad but you're going to remember it one way or the other
1: <laughs> i've got plenty of both um <laughs> oh man this this episode is only how long Um, so i i think one of my um one of my favorite moments uh is was it happened out at hatcher pass so um in hatcher pass which is uh i think northeast of palmer um there's this traverse that i would say seasoned hikers um and mia maybe like low-level mountaineers can do. It doesn't take a lot of super technical skill, uh, but you should have a general idea of what you're doing. But there's this traverse called the Bomber Traverse. And it links up a couple of huts from the Mountaineering, uh, the Mountaineering Club of Alaska. And uh, there's one run by the American Alpine Club. But this traverse, depending on how you cut it, um, it could be 20 to 30 miles and uh you can stay at the huts but you know you can also stay in your own tent or you can bring a. I um <laughs> i would not recommend sleeping under the stars on this but mm, i just okay. remember <laughs> yeah um, so i am notorious for running late and starting late on everything i mean if i say i'm going to meet a friend to go skiing or hiking like I, I do my best, I, I swear, like I do my best to be on time, but I'm almost always starting late. I just have a love of sleeping in too. Um, <laughs> so there was a weekend when I decided, okay, I'm going to do the bomber traverse. I'll knock it out in an overnight trip and I'll do a full traverse, which takes me to three huts. I planned um, three huts in like a big loop. So I, I planned on um, camping out by the second hut. So I'd see the first one, but bypass it spend the night at the second one, and then I'll see the third hut, and then I'll bypass that on my way back. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I started this traverse at like 1 p.m., Ooh. which sounds ridiculous. But one great thing is that I was doing this in uh, in the summer, and it was pretty close to peak summer. So um, I kind of took my time on the first leg of the hike.
0: Okay, so I let's... Reached- uh. Let's explain to people why that's so significant. It's it's in the summer.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, one of the great blessings of being someone who starts late on hikes all the time is that in Alaska in the summertime, it'll stay light really late into the night. And I, I'm talking like it doesn't ever really get truly dark overnight when it's peak summer. So um, yeah,
0: like example... Yeah, like it's mid April right now and in it actually gets like dark around like nine o'clock, nine, nine thirty. It's it's getting lighter all the time. And that's that's mid April. Imagine like June and July.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. I, I think getting um getting blackout shades that totally block out light in uh in my bedroom was really kind of a game changer for <laughs> living in Alaska in the summer.
0: Yeah, but okay. Uh, sorry. Sorry for interrupting. Uh, so yeah, no 1 worries. P.m. No, 1 p.m. on the hike. That.
1: So, 1 p.m. start. <laughs> and I had, I don't know, maybe like 13 or 14, no more than 13, probably like 14 miles to go. And I was taking my sweet time. I had, I had this bulky pack on. I got to the first time and I thought, you know, I'll do this luxurious um, dinner stop. I'll filter out water by the creek. I'll make dinner. I'll have a hot meal, and then I'll do the next leg of the hike, and uh, once I got up, yeah, I I did all of that, and then I I started this, um, this hike up to um, a pass above the first hut, and I'm, you know, kind of using my hands to help get me up this steep boulder field, and the whole time, I'm, like, cursing myself out, like, like, God, why did you start at one? You should have started earlier, this is ridiculous. You know, you're going to, you're going to get to the hut, the second hut super late. It'll be just, you'll have to go through this and it'll be like not dark, but it'll be kind of dark. And then will you even know where you're going? And so I had all of these doubts and frustrations and I was really chewing myself out as I'm hiking up. And I got up to the top of this pass and uh, it's called, this pass is called backdoor gap. And it takes you to the top of this ridgeline. And as you look down, you know, when I looked down, I saw Penny Royal Glacier. Um, and it was covered in sort of spring, slushy, wet snow. But at this point in the day, it was right around sunset, which um, given what we just discussed about uh, Alaska in the summertime, that should give you an indication that it was like way too late in the day <laughs> for me to be up there and still have a few miles to go. But it was beautiful. I mean, uh, there is, you know, the sunset was happening and there is alpine glow, you know, this pinkish, orangish glow that's cast on the mountains um, whenever the sun starts to get at a certain angle, you know, when everything sort of turns pink, that there's alpine glow all over the mountains and on the glacier. And I just kind of had this moment of like, you know, think. God, I started so late because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to see this amazing view, like right at this moment, right at this place. Um, and that was sort of, uh, that's a feeling. There's a certain kind of feeling that, um, I always get when I have those moments and I call it mountain delirium. And it's, (laughs) I mean, obviously not like a, an actual medical condition. It's not anything real, but it's just this, it's just the term that I gave to that feeling of being in the mountains and um, being in that place in that moment and having this like deep appreciation for everything in your life that led you to that point. So all of my poor habits of sleeping in and taking too long to prep for a trip and (laughs) getting out there and taking too long to hike and doing this long dinner break, but just everything that led me to that moment, I was just so happy for. Um, And I would say that on any any hike on any trip, you know, if it's a you, you know it's a good trip if there's a moment of mountain delirium uh on that hike. So that that's one of my favorite moments and it's this kind of feeling that I get um you know when I reach certain summits when uh you know when you have type two fun uh um, so the kind of adventure, the kind of outdoor adventure where In the moment, it might feel like a struggle and a slog and you want to quit and you hate it. But then at the end of a trip, you look back and you think, oh, that wasn't really so bad. And your memory just kind of um, forgets all the pain and suffering. Uh, That's type two fun. But anyway, um, I would say that, you know, that mountain delirium feeling is something I like try to chase on so many of my trips.
0: That's awesome. So what are... I guess, um, any other moments of mountain delirium that really stand out to you? Ooh, uh,
1: you know, one, one hike that I really love, uh, out near Palmer is up to Matanuska peak and, um, it's maybe a longer day hike, but the view from the top is pretty incredible. You, you get to the summit and you there's, there's this view of just like an endless stretch of mountains in one direction. If You turn another way, you'll overlook the, uh, the Knick River, which is this beautiful braided river um, that's fed by Knick Glacier. Um, if you turn slightly in another direction, you're overlooking Palmer and town. And it's sort of this comforting, like, okay, you're you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere if you look one way, but then you're actually really close to civilization if you look another. Um, I've actually slept on the top of Matanuska Peak. Um, I think it was maybe one night in November one year when I kind of dragged out overnight gear. And um, just, I, I know I said I would not recommend sleeping under the stars, but <laughs> <laughs> I i had brought a sleeping bag that was uh, sub-zero rated and it's waterproof. Um, and I slept on top of Matanuska Peak. It was the night of a super moon. So as I was hiking out, I saw this huge moon go from one ridge, one ridge line to the other and just move across the sky. Uh, but I, I got to sleep on top of one of my favorite peaks and it felt great. It was terrific. Um, I would recommend summit sleep outs only, uh, only if you're not prone to rolling in your sleep. Otherwise, <laughs> that could be quite disastrous. Yeah, either
0: that or just get two boulders on either side of you. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I was using a, a rock as a pillow and it actually worked quite well But bit. Um, and yeah, I definitely, uh, I'm the kind of person who, when I'm in my sleeping bag, I just, I don't move. It, it feels like a coffin and I'm just, I'm just there. And I, I sleep the whole way through, um, that way but I'll, I'll always kind of remember that night too. Um, that was, you know, hiking up that, um, by myself and getting to sleep on this awesome summit. Um, that was one moment of mountain delirium. And then I woke up in the morning, it was this beautiful, beautiful day. Uh, and I just, I got really excited. So, uh, yeah, that's that was another one.
0: <laughs> man, that's incredible. Cause I mean, I've been up Matt peak and it, it is absolutely gorgeous up there. Um, hats off to you for being willing to do that during the winter time, just cause I mean, when I've tried to go up there before, just, that rock slide at the very end is so challenging to get up when there's snow on it.
1: <laughs> oh, That's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the best part. <laughs> yeah, that's the best part. Yeah. That's the best part.
0: Yeah. Getting down. That's, that's the entertaining part. Cause there, there's a lot <laughs> of, um, controlled sliding on the way down. <laughs> that is a, if you could try to get the space with somebody if you're going with somebody. <laughs>
1: yeah, I definitely, um, if you're not, I would say if you're the kind of person who isn't really comfortable on steep stuff, steep, loose, rough, that could slide out from under you. Yeah, it definitely helps to have a friend, um, either for moral support or physical support, whatever, (laughs) whatever helps.
0: Oh, indeed. I'm glad you mentioned the part that if you're prone to rolling around, maybe that wouldn't be the good place for you to to plan to, uh, to sleep. I have a tendency to sleepwalk every now and then. So that's, that's good to know.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's good yeah, stuff maybe, to be thinking of. <laughs> maybe flatter campsites might be a good idea.
0: <laughs> yeah, that might be better. I mean, preferably, you know, surrounded by, uh, by lots of people and preferably inside a tent with, I don't know, padlock or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, good deal. So that's awesome great experiences there um, what are some things you probably could have done better the first time or first couple of times you went out?
1: oh so many things um I <laughs> I, I don't know I, I guess um I can get really really technical on this or I can be a little broader but there are some things that I wish I'd known so much sooner uh, like, uh, you know, something about Alaska, especially in the summertime or even, if, you know, getting toward fall, uh, the cold can really sneak up on you. And it's something where when I have friends and family come to visit and they say, oh, I want to go on a hike and it's summer and I'm going to go out there in a tank top and shorts. I'm like, please bring a jacket, just bring a jacket on top of some other essential items. But Uh, The the weather can move in so quickly, um, and a super sunny, beautiful day can turn into a rainy mess um, so quickly. The temperature can drop so quickly. Um, One one thing in particular, though, and it's one of the first things I wrote about in um, this outdoors column I used to write, is uh, just how to manage your hiking boots so that they don't freeze overnight. And it's something that I never had the pleasure of encountering <laughs> before I moved here. But, uh, you know, as you hike and as you, um, you know, your feet, your feet are working as you're walking, especially if you have a, a big pack on your feet sweat, you know, they, they generate heat and moisture. Um, and, you know, I would say most of the time in the summer, this is not a problem, but when it gets toward fall and temperatures at night, start to dip below zero um, it might be really easy to forget that your boots your hiking boots are around and that your boots are wet and um, they're only getting colder too as it, as the temperatures dip but there's no more frustrating feeling than waking up to h- like frozen hiking boots because it's infuriating, the, the laces freeze in place. So it's really difficult to loosen up the laces, uh, to jam your feet in. And even if you do, of course, your whole boot is kind of frozen. So it's not very pleasant for your feet. It's going to be uh,
0: stiff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Super stiff. Um, uh, and just, I, I remember there was my first, it was my first fall camping trip and my boots had frozen overnight. And I was trying to hobble around my campsite, trying to make breakfast, trying to break down camp Um, and doing this with like one boot on and I'm hopping around trying to catch my balance. Uh, It was really, really super frustrating. Uh, So I've since learned um, that there are some things that you can do to to help mitigate that. And I feel like this is something that you don't really encounter in a lot of other places. Like if, if I were camping in Texas, I don't think I would ever have this problem. Um, but there are just some things that I've learned to do, like keeping, um, keeping my hiking boots in the tent with me at the very least, or, um, if my hiking boots have liners, taking them out and keeping those warm, um, fully loosening the laces before I go to sleep. Uh, I don't know. There's even in winter when I'm winter camping, I'll keep hiking boots in my sleeping bag with me so that they stay warm. So I never have to hop around a campsite with one boot on ever again. Um, I'd say that that's one thing that I wish I had learned sooner. Um, another just might be, you know, making sure that, uh, that I plan accordingly, that I have, you know, all the necessary gear. Um, I'm probably a little overcautious now in terms of what I pack and how I pack. Um, I'll I'll typically bring uh, a sleeping bag, for example, that's like rated a little warmer than what I expect the lowest temperature to be. Or um, I might bring extra layers or extra hand warmers, um, heating packs, just in case um, someone's hands get really cold. I'm probably a little more overcautious now with my my planning, just because I've been burned so many times by all the things (laughs) I forgot at home.
0: Yeah, I mean those headlines would be brutal afterwards if you died up there. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. And the, yeah, the, this is a time when the the internet is also really brutal too. So that I'm sure the comments would not be very pleasant. <laughs> um, the, the comments are not kind to anyone who encounters serious outdoor trouble.
0: So, yeah, not um, not particularly, but <laughs> that's yeah, awesome.
1: It's, it's, as someone who deals in news, I just never want to be part of a news story. I think that's kind of my role of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it typically isn't very, uh, not a very kind place to be. Yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. Okay. So, so those are definitely some good tips for people. Um, what are some things you would recommend to people when it comes to wildlife? Cause I know that's I mean, anyone watching from the lower 48, they probably think they're almost guaranteed to get eaten by bears if they come up here and do a hike. So, um, what, I mean, that was kind of the perception I had anyway, coming up here. So how would you say you've gone about, I guess, managing encounters with wildlife?
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's a great question. You know, I, I feel like there, there are so many schools of thought with, um, especially with bears, You know, do you bring a gun? Do you bring bear (laughs) spray? Do you bring nothing at all? And um, I guess my approach to it is that uh, prevention is sort of the best way to to manage a wildlife encounter, right? Like, so preventing a wildlife encounter is the best way to not have a bad wildlife encounter, Uh, especially as someone who... um, I mean, I love solo hiking. I, I love being out there by myself, but there's that can also be problematic. If I get hurt, then I only have me to rely on. Um, what's nice about hiking with other people is that you know, you're typically talking, you're making noise. Um and one thing for sure that I always try to do is to make noise if uh especially in a denser, brushier spot where wildlife might not be um super visible to me. I mean, I'm sure that, uh, it's something that I've, I've said to so many people that, you yeah, I haven't seen that many bears while I've been hiking, but I'm sure as hell that they've seen me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, making, especially for bears. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll try to make sounds. You'll hear about people singing or clapping, or, um, sometimes people will carry little bells, bear bells. That will just jangle as they're hiking along, um, as a, as a just something that'll make sound as they're they're hiking and moving. Uh, but I'll, I'll try to make a lot of noise, and I'll also, especially when I'm camping, try to manage where I'm setting up my camp and where I'm setting up uh, my sort of uh, eating area, uh, and just trying to to manage that really well and giving that a really good birth, a good distance between your campsite and where you're eating and, and drinking and um and just making sure that there's you know healthy big distance between the two. Um I I would say that prevention has really been sort of my tack. Um, I always carry bear spray with me when I'm hiking in the summertime. Um sometimes uh i mean i've got plenty of spares at my place too so whenever <laughs> i'm hiking with a friend i'll usually uh have a spare in the car and just in case they forget um but yeah i mean if you bring bear spray if you bring any kind of bear deterrent you should definitely know how to use it uh, and there are endless guides out there and endless research there's endless research on the internet that you can do um but yeah bringing bear spray knowing how to use it making noise when i'm Hiking or when I'm camping, um, and also managing where um, where my food is, where my food is stored. Also, um, there there are bear canisters where you know, they're bear proof; bears can't open them. And it's just something where if bears learn to associate humans with food, that's a really bad combination of factors. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. And that's, that's one thing where if you go to a national park, for example, um, if you were to go to Denali uh, and you got the bear safety uh, orientation from a ranger, they would just, they would talk to you about um, you know, how to manage your food, how to manage encounters. But definitely what you don't want to do is have bears associate humans with food. Like that's just, uh, that's horrible. <laughs> it just, it's bad news.
0: Hiking 101.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I haven't had too many bad bear encounters. Um, probably the closest call was in gates of the Arctic National Park um, when uh, a sow, a grizzly, the mama brown bear um, with three or four cubs came toward our campsite. And you know how mm. I just said that you should keep a distance between where you camp and where you store your food and where you prepare your food. Um, this is a case where we did not do that. You know, We thought we were being pretty chill about it and we thought, oh, there's a little bit of separation and we hadn't really seen any bears, but we had heard before we left that there is a, a, a sow with cubs in the area, that we were foolish and we did not have um, the level of foresight that we should have. and. Uh, so these bears come toward our campsite. And I'm trying to make breakfast and I, I see, I see this dark shape up on a hillside. I think, Oh, like maybe that's a moose and I'm, I'm squinting. I'm like, Oh no, that's like a, it's like this big brownish blob. And like, Oh no, that's a bear. And then that blob starts moving closer. And then other little smaller blobs are moving closer to am Like, Oh no, it's multiple bears. <laughs> uh, and I was camping out in this one spot with a friend of mine and he is a photographer and he was in the area to to shoot photos and he had started snapping some photos that morning as I'm trying to make breakfast. And then he had like progressively gone farther and farther away um, up this valley. And so I'm like trying to make myself look bigger. I'm trying to remember what all of the, the bear, all the bear articles say online (laughs) i'm like deeply shouting but in a non not in a threatening way but just trying to make myself seem authoritative i'm waving my arms (laughs) and the bear and the cubs like they don't care about me they're just they continue to plow through our campsite so i'm kind of backing away slowly and i'm trying to have this voice of authority like hey bear hey bear to the bears and in the meantime, I'm trying to call down to my friend, like, "Hey, get over here! There's bears at the campsite." Hey, bear! Like, I'm <laughs> super scared. And it was uh, this weird dance going back and forth. And eventually, my friend, uh, my friend got the picture, and he um, he Literally. figured out what was going. Yeah, for real. Um, he figured out what was going on, and he came back over to me, uh, and we just watched. You know, the bears played around with our stove and our bear can which I had made sure to secure before I left because again, right, you don't want bears to associate you with food. Um but they, you know, kind of knocked some things around and then left. And we kept an eye on them. And once they were a, a really a good distance away, we went back to see what they had done, if there was any damage. My buddy's pack uh had a little bit of damage to it, but for the most part it was just things being knocked around. Um, but anyway, that uh, that was definitely the closest bear encounter I've ever had. Um, I would not. I, I'm grateful that that's like the worst bear encounter I've ever had, and it wasn't really that bad. Um, but yeah, that, that that encounter is why I'm always telling people: like, if you're going into bear country, make sure bears do not associate humans with food, and make sure that wherever you're preparing food is far from your tent and far from a uh, far from anything like that, because you know if they had come over to where our tent was, which is really close by. They'd come over to where our tent was. If they had slashed things around, if they had gone through the gear, they had gone through sleeping bags and sleeping pads or anything else, then we would have been in a deeper trouble. But for the most part, it was a pretty, pretty low level bear encounter. And I hope that's the worst I ever, I ever go through.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you know, looking back, I mean, definitely didn't have to end that way. And it really was just a matter of what mood the bears were in at that moment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, outstanding. Okay, so avoid encounters as best you can. Keep some good situational awareness. Take bear spray, make noise, and make sure that you keep your place where you store the food, cook the food, and where you actually sleep are all separate. Um, good little summary for those of you who are taking notes. Okay. <laughs> so for people who are looking at really just kind of jumping into this now, you know, they're all excited. They're listening to this. They want um, you know, they want to run outside because it's uh, going to be, you know, Alaska summer before we know it here. Um, what are, I guess, some of your favorite uh, favorite places to go exploring, to go hiking?
1: Ooh, okay. Okay. Uh... <laughs> There, let's do,
0: let's I mean, do like, let's do like top three. Can we narrow it down three. to top three? Yeah,
1: we can, we can narrow it to a top three. Um, you know, one spot that I really like, and it's a pretty popular trail, but with, with good reason. Um, I actually love the Bird Ridge trail. So it's south of Anchorage and it's Uh, a moderately steep climb most of the way you know as soon as you get on the trail it's just uphill and uphill and uphill but um the farther you go the better views you get of turnigan arm you know the the, inlet and you see the mountains across the way and from bird ridge you you get to the top and again it's that mountain delirium feeling you get to the um what most people would consider you know, the, the end point of Bird Ridge. And it's that sea of mountains view. I mean, I this is probably gonna be a common theme that I love being in the Alpine. I love being above treeline and Bird Ridge is definitely one of those hikes where you get really great wide open views the farther you go. Um, let's see. Ooh, I mentioned the Bomber Traverse earlier, but one, one leg of, uh, one leg of that trail or, you know, one, one hike out in that area that's really lovely is, um, Reed lakes. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is another one where it's, yeah, moderately uphill and you can do it in a day and in a few hours and you pass by lower Reed Lake and upper Reed Lake. And there is just something about Alpine lakes in South central Alaska, especially when, um, when they they've been fed by by glaciers or there's glacial silt present. Um uh, that they have the these unreal jewel tone colors um in the lakes. And you know it's like this milky turquoise or this deep blue. It's just these the startling colors that uh, always surprise me. I mean it's it's always surprising to me that a color like that just exists in nature and it's just super stunning. Um, and it's amazing to have something like that, and views like that, places like that, uh, be so accessible, and within just a few hours of hiking, you can get there. Um, Okay, so we have Bird Ridge, and we have, uh, we have Reed Lakes. I should probably throw in a flatter hike. (laughs) Yeah, I still love Eagle and Symphony Lakes. Uh, This is out of Eagle River, and it's relatively flat, you know, Less, I would say, less than fifteen hundred feet of elevation gain, um, and it's about five to six miles one way. I think maybe maybe a little less than that. Uh, but at the end, as so I mentioned, the jewel tone lakes that I love. Um, but at the end of this relatively flat trail, you get to Eagle and Symphony Lakes, and one lake is this deeper dark blue color. And there's a, a strip of land separating the two lakes. So you have this steep dark blue lake on one side. And then you have another lake on the other that is this milky, silty turquoise. And it's beautiful. It's nuts. I mean, it's uh it, it always kind of throws me that you can see two lakes with such different colors so close to each other. Um, and that's that's a spot that I love taking um taking visitors to because it it is just you know it's a relatively easy hike it's a little it's a little on the longer end but for a day hike but it's it's just so beautiful at the end and it's great it's definitely um, a spot that I love and from that area you can access some more remote peaks um, and some more remote areas that you know if you don't want to be around everybody you can definitely find find your own place to hang out.
0: Outstanding. Now, if you're looking for a hike that is, like, just a challenge, like, you're just looking for, like, that, you know, Eye of the Tiger, Rocky Balboa theme music playing in the back of your head, where do you go for, like, the most challenging hike you can imagine?
1: Ooh. Um, you know... I guess it. <laughs> I guess it kind of depends. Uh, all, all, I,
0: <laughs> all all conditions the same.
1: All conditions the same. Something, yeah, Cantata Peak is one. Um, it's in the Eagle and Symphony Lakes area. It's kind of rough to do in a single day. I think if you're a fantastic like mountain runner and you're half mountain goat um you could probably knock it out super easily but cantata peak is one um so it's uh more than 6 thousand feet at the summit which doesn't sound like a lot but um you know especially for people who might be familiar with like the rockies where you have like 14ers and fourteen thousand <laughs> foot peaks um but 6 thousand feet when you're starting closer to sea level is a lot and cantata peak, um, out of the Eagle and Symphony lakes areas. It, it was definitely a challenge because one, the approach is so long. You have a few miles of flat before you even get to, um, the formation where you're starting to go up the ridge and get to the peak itself. Um, it's just kind of a brutally long day. I would say it's not terribly technical, but, um, that those words are probably going to come back to bite me. Um,
0: <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> it, all relevant. It's all relevant.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely one where you'll end up scrambling, you know, using your hands to help you get up the mountain and, and go up some um, some steeper rock and loose rock. Uh, for something closer that is still moderately pretty difficult, um, I would say uh, North Suicide Peak um, in the front range of the Chigat. Uh, so... You can see it when you're from Anchorage, and it's uh, at the end of um, a relatively flat trail that leads to Rabbit Lake. So you go a few miles on the Rabbit Lake Trail, get to the lake, and then you see the north and south suicide peaks behind the lake. And um, north suicide peak was one where I sustained an injury the first time I tried it, and uh, it, it was due to my own foolishness. So I think maybe there is like a mental um, a mental hurdle there. And maybe that's why <laughs> I think it's so difficult. But there is this steeper um, scree goalie, a, a goalie filled with loose rock of varying sizes that is prone to slide under your feet as you move up. Um, and going up that goalie is is a, always a good challenge for me because I hate scree on the way up. I hate stepping on something only to have it slide underfoot. Um, I feel like I try to make progress and I'm only making incremental gains. Um, But what I love about that hike is coming down the scree, because if you find that right path of smaller rock, it almost feels like something super, well, not soft, but it's hard to describe. Scree skiing is um, how some people here describe it, but you're kind of moving along and you're not trying to stop yourself on solid ground because the rock is moving with you. Uh, but you just kind of feel like you're flowing with the mountains as you're heading down. Um, and, you know, it can get you into trouble sometimes, but if you're comfortable and you know what you're doing, uh, it's such a cool feeling.
0: Man, that's awesome. So is it kind of similar to, I guess the, uh, what is it? The um, I keep wanting to say sleep. But I, I know that's not the, the correct term for the, um, um, rocks and surfaces they have as you're coming down Mount Marathon over in Seward is it similar that is, to that? It is
1: quite similar to that.
0: Okay, yes. okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to find your your right line if you want that sort of experience, but you can you can find it there. But yeah, Mount Marathon. I uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the people who run at Mount Marathon are uh, are just crazy and amazing and terrific to me
0: (laughs) yeah i I thought it was legitimately a marathon like for the longest time i got there and they're like it's oh it's a 5k i was like oh i mean it's still awesome and i couldn't do it right this minute but oh.
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's funny i mean you think of a five a 5k and you think of the distance it's like oh it's not that much but
0: yeah, it's straight up and straight down. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It is uh it is rough for sure.
0: Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, on the other end of the spectrum then, if you're trying to find a place where you can just kind of relax, disconnect, you know, and just kind of um just kind of relax a little bit without um um you know without necessarily having to have the do or die mentality with a hike. <laughs> um where would you recommend people go?
1: Yeah, uh a great spot for um for a day a day hike that I don't think is too strenuous would be um out on the Kenai Peninsula. Um Lost Lake. I mean I'm thinking of this more as a, a backpacking trip but people will day hike it some people even just run it which um, I'm not a great runner so the <laughs> thought of that uh, boggles my mind um, or some people will mountain bike this trail but uh, Lost Lake on the Kenai Peninsula uh, is a beautiful spot and the lake itself is equidistant you can do this you, this this trail is um You can do it as a through hike or you can do it as an out and back, Uh, but the lake is pretty much in the middle of that trail. And um, I would say that's a pretty mellow backpacking trip uh, with some designated campsites, but the lake itself is really beautiful and you're in this kind of open spot where you gain a little bit of elevation, but it's not too, um, too strenuous or too challenging. Um, that's that's one spot I really like for uh for a quicker overnight bird point um is a, is a great spot and it's pretty easy to access and um you get great views of tourigan arm out there and if you're lucky you catch you know amazing 11 p.m midnight sunsets and maybe if you're super super lucky, maybe you'll see belugas or, other um, other uh, wildlife around. Um, but that's very rare indeed. Uh, I'd say out of hope too, the gold Rock trail is a nice uh, is a nice option um, with the bonus being that you can come back to uh, come back to town and get a beer and a burger. <laughs> so that's Beach. always a, a pleasant thing to look forward to.
0: Yeah, which I mean, that that that's definitely not nothing. Once you've been out there all day,
1: (laughs) yeah. More often than not, I spend half the hike thinking about what food I'm going to get at the end of the hike.
0: (laughs) And which is right and proper.
1: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I will say that the uh, having done so many um, kind of epic type two fun trips out of Hatcher Pass, there's the McDonald's in Palmer has seen me at. 3 a.m., 4 a.m. so many times on my way back home to Anchorage. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take whatever food I can get, essentially, at the end of the hike.
0: Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you're really grateful for it, too. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember doing an ultra marathon one time, and it was probably about like 3 o'clock in the morning. Or, no, I take that back. It was closer to about 5 in the morning when we were finally driving home. And we saw a little McDonald's right there try to pull over. And um, yeah, of course, their McFlurry like, machine wasn't working. And that was like the thing that kept me going for like the last three or four hours crashing through the wilderness <laughs> in the dark, trying to trying to get to the finish line. Oh, never forgiven McDonald's for that. But anyway, <laughs> I, di- I diverge, um, digress. Um, why do you just kind of finishing up here? Um, why do you believe that hiking is something that appeals to you and, and kind of appeals to a lot of people? Like what's, um, for someone who might just be hearing this and they're like, man, you're walking like, you know, five, 10, 15, you know, miles, you know, with a pack on your back. Why, why is that appealing?
1: I'd say that what I enjoy about hiking is, um, just the sense that you're, moving somewhere and getting somewhere under your own power. And especially with solo hiking for me, um, I love knowing that whatever I need, whatever, um, whatever I need to get from point A to point B or whatever I need to take care of myself, you know, ultimately that responsibility lies with me. I can't often, you know, in in the mountains here, you don't have cell service, um, (laughs) you know, and there, there are so many times where, even if something goes wrong, like you really have to figure your way out of something. So for me, as someone who loves solo hiking and solo backpacking, um, getting into hiking and being out in the mountains was, you know, like one, it's great exercise. Two, um, there's just something about being out here and hiking and moving along. And you know, after like the initial, uh, the initial hurdle of like, oh god, my body is doing physical activity again um but there's just something to be said about having time to yourself to to think and to process and you know whatever stresses I might have from from work or from anything else um they all kind of fall away and I, I get to this sort of zen mentality when I'm hiking where um, I can think through problems a little more clearly and, and yeah I can um be maybe a little bit more objective about things and I can let my my thoughts wander and um I can just really clear my head uh in a way that I never really got with anything else. And of course, and then at the end or in, in the middle, um you're in this beautiful place and you get to look around and you get to really appreciate where you are. Um, and I I love that. I you knew that sense of gratitude for for everything that led you to that point you know i think i touched on this earlier um that sense of gratitude is something that really makes me appreciate so much it makes me appreciate everything in my life the people in my life the events of my life um and the fact that you know i'm you know relatively healthy and i can get out here to this place and i can walk out here and even if i'm sweaty and swatting away at mosquitoes and maybe there's a blister forming and uh, maybe I tweaked my ankle, or this happened and that happened. I can still um, the fact that you can just go through um, something difficult or something challenging and still appreciate where you are. I think that's what I really take away from hiking, and that makes me appreciate just everything else in my life a little differently.
0: man, yeah, that's uh, that's very well said. It's <laughs> very well said. Well, Vicky, I do really appreciate you taking the time here to um, to kind of tell us some of your experiences, your background, and, um, you know, any insights that you have about, um, you know, hiking and then just exploring and enjoying the outdoors in general in Alaska. Um, is there anything else you'd like to like to add?
1: I can't think of anything, uh, too, um, too illuminating right now, but I would just say, you know, Alaska can be a difficult place for some people to live, but um, I, I feel like there's something here for everybody. And um, I can only hope that people who who are interested in being here, or people who move here or visit here, um, find you know, something to love about Alaska because it is just such a special place.
0: Indeed. Well, okay. Well, I do appreciate it. And um, it's it's been a pleasure. Um, if you have any questions or you, you want to get a hold of Vicky, certainly make sure you reach out to her. We'll have details about that in the the show notes down below. So make sure you take advantage of that. And if you have any questions on hiking in the area, certainly make sure that you um, drop her a line. And if you have any questions about what it looks like moving up to your here to Alaska, any general you know questions about what that process looks like, go check out my YouTube channel at Alaska Realtor. And we've got tons of content on there, just breaking it down step-by-step for you on what it looks like moving up here so we can get those questions answered for you ahead of time. And um, make sure that you don't have to pay the stupid tax like we did. So make sure that you go take advantage of that and um, we'll see you next time.